This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Support for MPB comes from Trustmark, offering a range of mortgage, affordable housing, refinancing, and construction financing options designed to serve the needs of its customers. More info at trustmark.com slash mortgage. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. Think Radio. This is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Bodrich-Anderson, President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. Nancy and Ryder are both chartered financial analysts, and Ryder also holds the Certificate Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. Before you can make plans to invest, you need cash. To find that cash, you need to budget. Consider what you bring in, what you want to save, and consider how to divide up the rest. So our experts are here today to help you with that and also to answer any personal finance questions that you have. Give us a call to join the conversation. The phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can email the show as well. Send it to money at mpbonline.org. So good morning. Hope that you're both doing well this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, we'll do financial news, and then we have a couple of bonus items that our producer Liz Gill found that we, we can talk about. But uh, tasty bonus items here. I like it. <laughs> uh, what what does what's financial news in the news? Well, the big news is just the spike in oil prices because <sighs> of the problems happening in the Middle East, and that comes back to our budgeting because you know for a lot of us we're going to see a spike at the pump, and that means. You know, that's going to really ding our wallets because you got to pay for gas to put in your car. And for a lot of Mississippians, um, that becomes really important because these are folks who are traveling a distance to do their work during the day or just to get to their workplace. So this is a big deal. Yeah, and that was something I I didn't know we were going to have that as the come out here, but something I wanted to talk about. There was a drone attack on a Saudi uh, refinery or or, or processing plant of some sort, and uh, some Saudi Arabia, they're responsible for like 5 or 10% of the world's oil output. And this was like half of their output. So 5% of the world's oil just taken offline, just like that. Um, some measures were taken. So, you know, of, of course, uh, our president announced that we we're going to take some oil out of the National Petroleum Reserve, which, you know, is not a sustainable thing. But, hey, if, to, to help uh, slow down a, a, a little spike like that. Um, and and when you kind of back up and, and look look at this, you know, oil prices, they jumped up about 20% kind of in an overnight trading, but they're really about 10% higher than they were, you know, say last week. Um, but that's really kind of at about a level where they were uh, about three months ago um, and even lower than they were in, in the spring. So it, this isn't necessarily as big just for the immediate um, immediate price changes. Obviously, if, if it does, you know, it has changed the price of oil. It probably will change the price of gas right. at the pump. And for a lot of people, um, you have to budget for that fuel Absolutely. for cars. Absolutely. And so um, any kind of increases in the price per gallon means you're going to be able to spend less on mm-hmm. other things. And it's the consumer spending and consumer sentiment mm-hmm. that's really been driving this economy, even though our manufacturing has been backing up. So the last couple of quarters, it's been consumers who've been holding up this game. And so that's the concern that not only do we psychologically go, oh my goodness, look at the price at the pump, um, but it does do some damage to our monthly budget. Absolutely. And for a lot of folks, this is a pretty big part of their budget too. 
All right. Uh, this is uh, <clears throat> other story. This is the way this was written kind of top, uh, caught my attention. Uh, it says an estimated 1,200 Flint assembly workers streamed out of the plant along Van Syke Avenue in their cars at 11.59 p.m., uh, marking the beginning of the UAW's first national strike since 2007. Uh, was that some sort of ironic, you know, that they're auto workers and they mentioned that they're driving out of their... Well, I, I think that <coughs> really connects what they're doing. Um, but uh, what's interesting about this strike is that a big part of it has to do with health care cost, which mm-hmm. is the concern that we're all facing. And I think back to um, my first husband was a General Motors employee and how good that insurance coverage was when he was ill. That has gone away. And so for a lot of big corporations who do provide uh, health insurance to their employees, more and more they're asking those employees to pitch in for that. And so that's part of the complaint going on right now. All right, and then finally, uh, Ryder's favorite one of the day. The headline reads, Banks' $120,000 error sent couple on a spending spree. Yeah, so this story uh, is about a Pennsylvania couple. They had $120,000 accidentally deposited in their bank. Their account was at about $1,200 before. So as you can imagine, if you can just kind of picture yourself checking your bank account and there's (laughs) two extra zeros at the end of it, what? What would you do? And and if you have some really good ideas, please do call in with those. Um, but here's the thing. If the bank abs- accidentally deposits somebody else's money in your account, it's not it's still not your money. Um, it's a mistake. And, you know, it's you know, it, it's disappointing that you don't get to keep that. Of course, we were just discussing how much like, hey, you know, if you make an error, it's your fault. And if the bank makes an error, it's your fault. That's not fair at all. Um, but. Uh, but no, they ended up having to ret- well, they were supposed to return the money, but they had spent most of it uh, on new vehicles and paying off bills, which I'm, I'm proud of them for actually for paying off some of their bills. That's important. Um, but of course, it wasn't their money. Also, $15,000 to, quote, friends in need. I guess when you get $120,000, you got a lot of friends in need. We all, well, and I wonder if those friends in need will give them back <laughs> that money so because they're in need right now. So uh, in their modern banking system, doesn't this seem rather odd that there could be this? I mean, it was like maybe misc, uh typed in the account number or something? I think I'm probably more amazed it doesn't happen more often. Okay. I don't know. I mean, banks do. Uh, obviously, a bank has you know, thousands and thousands of accounts and and checks coming from all over the place going in and out. Um, they've developed systems uh, so that this doesn't happen very often. Uh, but, it, you know, mistakes can be made. Uh, at the end of the day, in a lot of places, folks are still, you know, hand typing in those numbers. Uh, obviously, you know, they'll have some system for du- double checking that. But, you know, if you write the wrong account number on your deposit slip, it's going to be difficult for the bank to easily follow that up. And also, I would imagine that the actual person who deposited the $120,000 in their account and it didn't show up might have been a little concerned about this as well. Just waiting for that check to clear. Now, and it does say in the article that the couple said they realized the money was not theirs. Had this been a smaller error... I guess it could be more believable that you didn't know. Yeah, right. In, instead yeah. of 120000 what if it was just $1,200? Right. Uh, yeah. You might think there was some refund or mm-hmm. rebate or something happened, and you wouldn't think twice about it. 
Yeah, and 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 obviously for for a, a large thing like this, the bank is a little more, a little more, uh, ur- a little more urgent that they get the money back. Um, for a small error, I mean, smaller errors are harder to notice. Uh, the person who was supposed to get a twenty dollar deposit, they might they might have forgotten about it too. Um, but that that would be an easier one for the bank to just say, look, we're going to take the hit on this one. Which means that we all need to pay more attention to our bank statements. And you know, oh, how, how many always. of us? actually reconcile a bank statement anymore. You still do that, Kevin? I do. Kevin. Um, we Whoa. gave up that <laughs> a long time ago, but I can remember yeah. sitting down when those statements came in at the first of the month and tracking everything and getting it down to the final penny. Mm-hmm. We just simply don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. We, But you should be monitoring online and make sure any of those charges really are yours. Yeah, and that's something when we get into budgeting, keeping a very close eye on your bank account, on all any of your spending accounts is going to be very important uh, in helping you understand what you're spending on. And once you understand it, you can start to control it. All right. As Ryder mentioned, we are talking about budgeting uh, today. Uh, we're also looking for your personal finance questions. The phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 We're using nerd, a Nerd Wallet article as our starting point for our budgeting discussion this morning. It was called How to Choose the Right Budgeting System. Uh, we have a link to that article on our website, moneytalks.mpbonline.org. And we're going to be trying to talk throughout the hour about four types of budget systems, the 50-30-20 budget, the envelope system, pay yourself first, and the zero-based budget. So for a couple of minutes, the 50-30-20 budget. Are either of you familiar with this or have come across this one before? Yes. Um, and, and so this is just kind of a way of saying, well, how much should I be spending on this, that, or the other? And so what they say is... You know, 50% is going on necessities, things you can't change, you know, your rent or your mortgage payment, your bills that are coming in, any debt payments, those things. You've already worked to get those down to where you can afford them. Uh, that shouldn't be taking up any more than 50% of your budget. And that also helps serve as a useful guide when you're, say, looking for how much can I afford um, on on rent, you know, considering what my other expenses are. Um, and then they say 30 to wants and... And I, again, folks, they categorize these things differently. I would generally consider those, um, you know, travel, eating out, shopping, things that you don't strictly need. Um, obviously, you have to eat, but you can consider your grocery budget maybe as part of your 50%. Uh, and then the last bit, 20% to savings. And... I mean, we often recommend uh, folks save around 20%. Um, some of that might be in your 401k or your employer-sponsored plan or your retirement plan. Uh, and some of that's going to be your emergency savings. Uh, some of that's just going to be letting a little cushion of cash build up in your checking account just in case you have a, a big bill hit one day. You don't want to overdraft just because of one one little bill. So it's just, a, it's just a general idea of thinking about how much should I be spending, how much can I afford to do. And it's a, it's a good starting place, especially once you're just entering the workforce. My one comment would be, I think it would be better if it were a 50, 20, 30, and the 20 is for the wants, and the 30 goes to the spending, or the savings and the debt repayment. Well, uh, so this is, like I said, this is a great one for getting started, Um, but as your income grows, these proportions will change. Um, You know, folks who are in the lowest income quartiles or whatever, who, who are making the least money, they spend more of their budget 
predicated on housing than anyone else because you know housing i mean there comes a point where it's you're not just going to get massively cheaper housing uh, and then there comes a point as your income grows where it's like you're not just buying a new house every year just to just to keep the price of your house up with your income um, so as your income expands, your needs, you know, I mean, they might go up a little bit. You might buy a different brand at the grocery store. You might move into a nicer house. But ultimately, your needs are going to come down as a proportion of your income. Your wants are probably going to go up as you have more of that discretionary income. You can spend more money on travel. You can spend more money on your uh, vehicle uh, or on dining out and entertainment. Um, but also, of course, your savings needs to come up with that. And so, you know, if you, even if you just kind of think of, you know, at least half of your increased income going to savings, uh, that's kind of a, a guide of, you know, how much should I be spending uh, and how much should I be saving? And that's why this is a useful guide. It's a useful guide for starting. But again, if you're looking at your budget and you're, you know, mid, mid career and making good money, this might not be the exact guide for you. And we know that overall savings rates, right? Right now are somewhere in the six to seven percent range. That's way below what we are looking at with this type of budget. Mm-hmm. The danger there is that um, we tend to live to our means. Whatever we're making, that's what we're spending. And the problem is that now we're in pretty good economic times. People are working, but what happens when things slow down and maybe you don't get the raise or you lose a job and now you can't even support the current rate of living. Because you haven't carved out enough in savings and you haven't been living below your means. So that's the real problem. All right. Time for our first break. Uh, If you have a question about uh, setting up a budget or if you have a budget success story you'd like to share with us or a personal finance question, we've got some open phone lines for you. Give us a call. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. Email the show. Send it to money at mpbonline.org. Here's something to think about during the break. How many Americans actually keep a formal budget? We'll have that for you. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. presented on Money Talks is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult a financial advisor or any other qualified professional for guidance about your personal finance questions. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. 
back. If you missed part of the show, you can always go to moneytalks.mpbonline.org to listen again. You can also download the MPB Public Media app and listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand so you get all the MPB Think Radio shows on your schedule. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. So a Gallup poll found that about one-third of Americans, or 32%, maintain a household budget. Only one-third, and so that's why we're talking about budgeting today, hoping that uh, if you don't do one, you might start something or maybe find a better way to budget your money. We're going to get into our next method, the envelope system, in just a minute, but we do have a caller on the line. So we say good morning to Earl, who has called in from Memphis. Good morning, Earl. You're on the air with us. Good morning. Okay, I have a question. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, having a hard time deciding what to do. I'm, uh, I'm over 80 years old, and I worked very hard all my life. I worked two and three jobs most of my life, and I've accumulated a lot of property. I never invested in the stock market because I didn't like the stock market. And But I, I presently own about nine houses. I have about probably $900,000 worth of real estate, but I owe, I owe on the real estate probably $180,000. And... Um, uh, I had a daughter that was terminally ill for about six years that I had to take care of. And at that time, I, I went and let my credit card debt run up and so forth. Well, I've got about $90,000 worth of debts. And uh, I have, I'm, I'm not in trouble paying my bills, but I've gotten where I don't have because I'm on retirement income. And I don't have uh, enough money left over really to do anything, but I'm paying my bills. And my wife keeps telling me, sell one of the properties, sell your property and just pay it, you know, and that. But my belief is in retirement income, because I don't know how long I'm going to live. My, my, my health's been pretty good. Of course, I had cancer one time. I know that can change quickly. But uh, make a long story short, I was going to go out and make a loan, you know, and borrow equity against the house and all up uh, against one of my houses and all that, the house. Anyway, one of the houses, and uh, and have a note, but then it would be ten or twelve years for the house is paid for, you know. But uh, but I thought, well, that's better than selling the house because uh, the property I got. Sh- well, should I just keep what I got and just tough it out? Because w- once you sell a property, it's like skinning a sheep. You can't you can you can't skin them but once, but you can shear them many times. And these properties are bringing income in. Yeah, that's. So I don't a, know what to do. That's a good point. I think you need to look at first the the amount of income that you're drawing from those properties. And one thing about rental properties is it can look great for a long time, and you're drawing income, and suddenly the sewer line needs to be replaced. So you have these lumpy expenses. But as long as you feel comfortable and you've been a, a landlord for a period of time, and you feel like this income is good, then yeah, it makes sense for you to move that credit card debt from a high interest debt over to a lower interest debt by using the equity in the homes that you have. Right now, a 30-year mortgage is around 3.5%. You probably won't get quite that good on a rental, but you should get a decent amount, which will spread those payments out over a longer period of time. And so that's the big advantage for you. 
Yeah, well, the 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 property I was going to borrow against is the house I live in because I still owe fifty thousand dollars on it. Because mm-hmm. I hold off paying. A, these properties, most of them, I've had them for twenty years, you well, know, um, or longer. And the other thing is, I don't spend a lot on maintenance because. I've all all my life. There's not much I can't do on a house. I do mm-hmm. plumbing, electric. In fact, I used to teach electrical in the in the in the Tennessee school system but and, I, that, and, but, and other stuff. So I always do most everything myself. Like if a sewer line goes out, I hire me. I'll hire me a couple good helpers, and I'll, I'll rent a backhoe. They want six, seven thousand dollars. I'll put one in for fifteen hundred dollars. Okay, know, maybe. so maybe that's what you've done in the past, but you also need to think about as you age. You're eighty years old. Can you continue to do that kind of maintenance work and get that kind of value? That's up to you. Yeah. But you definitely yeah. need to get rid of that high interest credit card debt at ninety thousand. That's what's killing yeah. you. And yeah. um, understand if. If you do a, what we call a cash out refinance on your existing house, somewhere between 70 and 80 percent of the value is what they're going to give you. Right. I already got a, I was going to make a loan, but they wanted such a high closing cost of ten thousand dollars to make the loan. But my credit was but they were going to give me three percent on on. 15 because they want a 30 year I said no I take a 15 or 10 year so they agreed on on a 10 or 15 year 3 percent you know okay is that your but existing is that going to be ten thousand dollars I said man that's way too high okay but, charging me three thousand dollars to make the loan that's that's not that's too high but Earl is that your existing mortgage company offering you that deal no, no. Okay, no, you no. you need to go to your existing mortgage company and just say to them, I'm going to refinance, and I'm either going to do it with you or I'm going to go somewhere else, and uh, see if you can talk to them and negotiate on those closing costs. Yeah. That's they, usually yeah, best deal. They, yeah, because they sent me a notice, uh, the mortgage company that's on the house, because uh, I only owe another five years on it, that's so why I went out. But they uh, they wanted to make me a loan. They sent me things. Said, "Well, you ought to cash in on some of the equity you have." Mm-hmm. But I didn't know what, what what to go because once you get rid of capital, it's hard to gain it again. Because I spent a long time buying all these properties and, and paying for them. And like I've it's but, what happened too. I've got property in Gulfport, Mississippi too. Okay, and one house, the two houses, Katrina wiped them out. But Earl, you need to think about all you're trying to do is swap that high interest debt for a lower interest debt. So you're kind of you're kind of compartmentalizing here. You're saying, here are my houses over here and I'm going to protect that position. But meanwhile, you've got 90000 in credit card debt. That does not make sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I would say to that as well, that $10,000 closing cost, you know, for anybody listening, that does sound very, very high, high to me. Um, also, he's in an interesting position. Uh, he could, you know, he's over 80. His income is, you know, retirement income and this rental income. He's got $90,000 worth of credit card debt. I'm not quite sure how long he's had it, but with credit card debt, my first piece of advice is always, 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 always call that credit card company and just see what they can do for you. 
you. Um, oh, but I'm, they're not going to get you down to 4%. They're not going to get no them down. They're not going to get them down to 4%, but particularly if fees and interest have accrued, they may be willing to negotiate some of that off, particularly if he can say, you know, I'm going to refinance half of this, so I'm going to pay half of this, you know, what the, the, he has a lot of avenues uh, for negotiation. Um, credit card companies obviously his his biggest problem right now, but fortunately that's sometimes the most flexible one. If they're, you know, if they're looking at him and they're like, you know what, you're still a good credit, you're still going to pay that off, then absolutely turn around. His home is going to be the cheapest place to get that money out of. As long as that he can still afford it. And what it sounds like is that, you know, he's got $900,000 worth of houses and only $180,000 worth of mortgages on it. Then he's got plenty of room to take out some mortgage. Uh, One issue I would raise is you are attaching that that is secured against your house, which does make it a little more appealing just to put it on a rental just in case. Um, Just because you can always, you know, you don't want it on your primary home. uh, If it's it's going to be if difficult he's making to payments on the house right now, and of course you have got to do the math, but it could be that you can swap out, and yes, you're extending the loan, but get the cash out and not make a big difference in the monthly payment. All right, Earl, we appreciate your call. Let's move on next, another one before our next break, and it's Brett calling in from Vicksburg. Go ahead. You're on the air with us. Man, good morning, and thank you for taking my call. Does your 50-30-20 recommendation include uh, a presumption that most people get their health insurance premiums paid through their employer, or would you advise that 50-30-20 recommendation if women and men in increasing numbers are having to go on the open market and paying larger and larger amounts for health and life insurance? Yeah, again, so the 50... the health insurance is, uh, I would consider that a necessity. Uh, so I'll put that in that 50% category of, um, but it, again, just a couple of things. You know, this is a starting point and it makes more sense for uh, folks who are, you know, just entering the workforce and, and, and just, they're at the point where they do just have some disposable income and some saving, uh, some income available for savings. So that's, that's the first point. Um, again, depending on your income, uh, on the lower income level, your necessities may exceed 50% of your budget Um, or yeah, 50% of your income. Um, generally speaking, though, yes, that health care is going to be part of that 50 percent. Um, but this is not this is not a, a rigid guide for everyone uh, at all stages of their career. And it's more a guide to show you that your necessities are going to be the guiding factor in the affordability of everything else in your life. Um, so if you look at it and you say, OK, you know, my rent, my bills that I can't really control, uh, um, you know, so t- your electricity, gas, and water, you know, not even your internet, cable, et cetera. Um, those and my health care, if that's more than 50% of your income, then there's you, you're not going to be able to stick to 50% of your income once you've got those down at as low as you can get them. Uh, so this is just saying use those necessities as a guide. You know, if it ends up being 70% of your income, then that just means you're going to – 
if you want to, if you're going to be able to save any, you're going to have to cut way back on your on your discretionary spending on your on your wants category, and and that's what this is saying. And understand that's why um, healthcare is such a hot topic right now. It's a reason General Motors employees are striking because a lot of employees who were expecting their employers to pick up the tab are now having to pay more of those premiums, and that is a necessity. So that eats into your budget. All right, uh, Brett. Thanks for the call. I would also say, as someone who, who if you get ready to retire, if you were had a, um, your health insurance either subsidized or paid through your employer, that's a, a big expense you're going to have to plan for in your retirement. In uh, when because that's not going to be there. Anymore. Yes, and if you haven't reached age 65 where you qualify for Medicare, that's a big consideration for a lot of people. They can't stop working because they can't afford to lose that employer coverage. All right, Vince is on the line from Water Valley. We're going to get to Vince's call right after this break. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio, talking about budgeting this morning, but also looking for your personal finance questions. The number to call is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. We'll be back with more after this. to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotter-Janderson, President of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. We've been talking about budgeting today as well as taking some other personal finance questions. We've got some open phone lines, so if you want to join the conversation, the number is one mpb ring It's one 672 You can email the show. Send it to money at mpbonline.org. Vince waited through the break for us, so Vince, you're on the air with us now. Good morning. Morning. Thank you all for taking my call. Sure. Um, uh, my wife and I have been budgeting for uh, quite a while, and uh, we've been trying to look for ways to save in the short and long term. And one of them that came to mind, uh, I recall several episodes back uh, about saving. Y'all had mentioned there was a you could write two checks a month for your mortgage instead of one and save. I think about a thousand a year. If I recall, mm-hmm. uh, that was a piece of advice given. And I was maybe a dumb question, but I was just wondering, since ours are drafted from the bank, is it possible to do two drafts since we don't write out uh, checks? I, I don't understand quite how it works, but. Uh, yeah, you should I, be able to. I think um, I think you sign up with your mortgage company, and there might be a small little fee for setting it up that way. Um, so in, instead of once a month, maybe you are asking for half of that payment every two weeks. Um, and most mortgage companies understand that program, have it arranged for you, and make it really easy. 
Oh, yes, ma'am. I'll say, basically, what you're doing here is you're just making half of that payment, you're making it a little bit early. And because you're making it a little bit early, then that amount that you paid, that's not accruing interest anymore. So it kind of, that's, that's where the savings comes from. Um, yes, so you can even do it, you know, by just kind of single, you know, one-time payments. I know my mortgage provider, I can just log in online. I can make a, a one-time payment uh, at any time that I like. And so... And for some folks, it may make more sense, you know, especially if you're like, oh, I'm going to save an extra hundred bucks every month for this, um, just for convenience, you know, making that payment, you know, every couple of months uh, or just whenever you see, okay, I clearly do have the extra money just so that you don't end up, you know, kind of shorting yourself on your cash flow and, you know, because you would hate to uh, be doing the right thing on your mortgage only to turn around and your bank charge you $30 overdraft fee because, you know, checks you know, the timing didn't line up. And Vince, on a 30-year mortgage, depending on the size of the mortgage and the interest rate, you're probably cutting somewhere between seven and eight years off of the pay off of the house. On a 15-year mortgage, it will be less, somewhere in the maybe four-year range. Um, but that's the big advantage. Oh, yes, ma'am. Um, well, thank you all very much. We'll talk to our mortgage companies and uh, get that worked out. Awesome. Great call, Vince. Thanks uh, for calling in. We've got some open phone lines. If you have a budget-related question or a personal finance question for us, you can call 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. Email the show. Send it to money at mpbonline.org. That same method, I think, would work also for a car loan uh, or to pay extra. But I guess if you do, like, were to send an extra check, you need to make clear that you want that yeah, applied to I the always, principal. Um, if I do that, I include... Include uh, on the memo line on my check uh, mm-hmm. payment to principal, and then I'll usually will attach it to a piece of paper with a note on there with my signature. Yeah, and, and that's a good point because if you did just send in a check, the mortgage company might be okay. Great, this is his monthly payment. We'll just kind of hang on to it until then, and then you don't get any of that benefit for sending that money out early. All right. We've been talking about a couple of different uh, budgeting systems. The next one we want to spend a few minutes on is called the envelope system. Uh, and I guess this is basically you've got a bunch of envelopes that say rent. Yeah, but you got to use cash. Uh-huh. What is that? I don't see cash <laughs> much anymore. <laughs> Who? Who? Who uses cash? Um, also, I w- would point out, you know, because it requires cash, you, you have to watch out, you know, if you're getting... Getting your paycheck physically and going and cashing that, or you are withdrawing that uh, from an ATM, there are often fees involved. Also, just the the time it takes to physically cash a check. You know, if you get your paycheck on a Thursday, but you're all busy Friday, so you don't have time to run to the bank, and then you have a long weekend. All of a sudden, it's been almost a week, and your bills haven't gotten paid, um, and then you had to pay a twenty five dollar fee to cash that check. Be really careful. If that's what you're doing, um, there are banks have been getting a little bit better about it lately about having, you know, free checking account. They're aware, they're more aware that, you know, this this is an important thing for especially lower income folks to have access to the banking system because, you know, well-managed bank account can can be so financially beneficial. It's not just that you have a place to stick your extra money. It's not just the security of working with a bank. It's not just the convenience. I mean, uh, the the convenience to the companies who you're having to pay, uh, means that they save money and some of that can get passed on to you. And, you know, for some people, this works. This is their favorite method of of 
paying off some items. I think this is um, uh, Dave Ramsey is a proponent of this. And uh, some people swear by it. Understand if you've got cash lying around, whoever picks it up, mm-hmm. they own it at that point. So there is some risk there. But I think when it comes to budgeting, you just have to say whatever works for your family. Yeah. So, yeah, and I know we have a couple more here, but the system that works for you is going to be what's best for you. And I guess this uh, says that some people want to have the actual cash in their hand and it helps them out. But I guess you could sort of do a digital envelope system where you have, you know, different categories and that's a way to track your spending. Because that's basically kind of what a budget is. It's really a way to look at where your money's going and to begin to make sure you know where it's going. And to be aware of where you get a little crazy, you know, where you really just spend frivolously. And if you can rein that stuff in, because, you know, you're not going to rein in your mortgage or your rent or, you know, your utility bill. There's a little bit you can do, but not a lot. But you need to be aware of where you just spend with abandon. And, And so this may make sense, you know, to use for part of your budget, to use particularly for that discretionary part of your budget. Um, You know, say you do have a bank account and all your mortgage, all your bills are coming out automatically. And so you just say, okay, well, my discretionary budget, you know, whenever I go out to eat, whenever I, you know, go to a movie or whatever, I'm going to pay cash. And you just have that, you know, maybe it's just a couple of envelopes then. And you just say, you know, oh, I'm going to put, you know, $500 in these envelopes every month. And what's nice about that is that, you know, say you only spend $400 of those dollars one month, well, you get an extra $100 the next month and slowly that might start to accumulate um, and you know at that point you might you might say okay well I could I could be doing more saving too um, but you know so it accumulates month to month if you're not spending it all I like that idea because yeah that way you all the important stuff is taken care of but that discretionary income that we talk about uh, you're there and it maybe uh, gets a better handle on it well and, and that's something that you might want to do with children as well um, because it's harder for them to understand here's a debit card or a credit card, but to have cash. Go crazy, little Johnny. Right. And uh, to really understand and put it in their hands and know that you have to make choices. That's what economics is all about, is I have a limited amount of resources and I have all of these wants and needs and I have to choose. All right. Uh, the third system uh, that we're going to talk about is called the pay yourself first system. And to me, this seems like a little bit sort of the opposite of the 50, 30, 20 in that the 20, the savings comes first and then the other is taken care of. So talk a little bit about the pay yourself first method. Well, I think it's important, first of all, to look at any kind of employer retirement plan and make mm-hmm. sure you're saving appropriately there. Also carve out some for emergency cash along the way. And I always believe in carving out some where you give it away, um, that you understand it's just not all about you and uh, what you can do. And then that forces you to live on the 80%. Uh, yeah, that's basically it. I'm, I think, you know, the good point about the employer plans, that's, uh, you know, one, that happens before you even notice it. Uh, you're never going to miss that money. Um, and it, that's just a very good place for the money to go. The, the budget doesn't tell you where your savings goes necessarily. Um, the budget says, you know, I'm going to save 20% or I'm going to save X number of dollars. Um, but, you know, just think about what is the best place to do that and can I go ahead and take care of that and then just force myself, um, you know, to live on the rest. And that's really good, particularly if you have the income to save, you just haven't been doing it. You just don't, haven't developed the discipline to do it. Um, that's why you start with that, pay yourself first. Um, if you have the money, 
money to save, you're not super worried about covering your necessities, but you just may realize at some point in the month, it's like, oh man, you know, I really have, really have spent too much on going. I really have spent too much on this, that, or the other. And it's forcing all of us to live within our means. And that is a great life discipline that you can develop. Um, That is really the key. And it's a problem that we see with a lot of American families that they don't live within their means. They live right to the edge and then they're not prepared when something happens. Uh, And I think uh, that you kind of made a good point there, Nancy, and that is, you know, if you have children that have allowances or get some sort of money, if you kind of get them started on some sort of budget system, some sort of monitoring their spending early on, that's really going to benefit them as they move out on their own, uh, say, after college and when they start their careers. Let's take our final break this hour. We've been talking throughout the hour about budgeting, also taking your personal finance questions, and we've got some open phone lines. Still might be time to work in a call or two before the end of the hour at one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one 672 7464 You can email the show. Send it to money at mpbonline.org. One more budgeting method to get to after this break, so stay tuned. Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotter-Danderson and Ryder Taft. Today we've been talking about budgets and taking your other personal finance questions. Got a caller on the line. But first, Nancy, you have an email there that we're going to talk about for a few minutes. Right. These are folks who are in really great shape. So um, the wife is 54, husband is 62, debt-free, perfect. Uh, They're independent contractors. Uh, They have a lot of cash on hand, and they have a lot of money in retirement accounts. And... Um, but they are still working, but planning to pare down. They make most of their money in uh, July, September, and October. And so they have a motorhome right now, and they want to purchase a newer motorhome, which is motorhomes are expensive in the $200,000 range. Mm-hmm. And the argument in the household is the wife wants to pay cash for it. The husband says, no, I want to hang on to my cash. Uh, what if there's an economic downturn? And I would say to this husband, you're fine. You've got plenty of cash on hand. You've got a lot of money in retirement accounts. You're over 59 and a half. You can tap into it if there's an economic downturn. Um, that motorhome is not like a primary residence. It depreciates immediately when you drive it off the lot, just like a car. And um, if this is something you want to spend because you enjoy it and you have the means to do it, I'd say pay cash and go your way. I may have a slightly different take. I do know, uh, I don't know a lot about motorhoming, uh, but financing is usually pretty good, pretty low cost, long terms on the financing. So this may, you know, information for the broader audience. Um, and when you can get really good financing, sometimes it's just, it's... That, You're just complicating that their argument. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so hey, do you know that... If you call the office, uh, sir, uh, then ask for Nancy, not... <laughs> 
<laughs> not for Ryder. I'm going to. No, know, his gonna, wife gonna, needs to ask for me and, and he needs right, to ask for right, you. Right. But I'm going to say to you, this is really interesting. Purchase of RVs are, um, we monitor that. It tells us something about the overall economy. And over the last year, we've seen a decline in uh, RV sales of 20%. That's amazing. So for this person. Might be able to get some deals. Exactly. Especially if you're bringing cash to the table. Exactly. We might be able to get some deals. Um, but also, I am just curious. Do you think there's any opportunity for these independent contractors to, to expense some of this? Uh, and that's for their CPA. And if the financing would allow them to stretch that out. But I guess that would just be, they would be expensing the but depreciation. But I, I, would, I would say to this uh, husband, <laughs> don't be afraid to use your cash. You're, you've got plenty. You're good. <laughs> All right. Uh, we got another. And the last thing I would say to him yes. is, you know, uh, that thing about a happy wife. Aha. All right. That, well, that, that's a lot to be said for that. Um, let's go back to the phone lines. Mary's called in from Brandon. Good morning, Mary. You're on the air with us. Good morning. I just wanted to share two things my parents did for my brothers and me to teach us uh, about money. One was my mother put a, a list of chores on uh, the inside of one of the cabinets and for each chore she put how much she would pay for it. Now this was back in the 1960s. <laughs> so uh, waxing the kitchen floor you got a dollar. Mowing the front yard, the backyard, and the side lot you got a dollar for all three. Oh wow. Um, mm. Cleaning the bathroom, we had three bathrooms, you got a dime for each one. <laughs> but she had, she had a whole list and Wow. That was how we, that's how we earned our allowance. And then out of that, we had to buy our lunch tickets. Back then, it was like 75 cents you know, for lunch tickets to school. Um, and it was, I think, a dollar if you got the big dessert. My brothers always went for the big dessert, but I conserved my money and just had a regular dessert. <laughs> but that was one thing that taught us the value of working and earning money. And then my father had his own business, which was a restaurant. And as soon as we were big enough, he would let us do little things. And when I got old enough to be a waitress, uh, I didn't get paid. And he wouldn't let me keep my tips until I was about 15. And he explained to me that the other waitresses depended on their tips to put a roof over their house, you know, over them and buy clothes and food. And he said, I do all of that for you now. But then when I got old enough that I needed spending money as a teenager, he started letting me keep my tips. <laughs> so, Mary, did, was there always a rush to maybe whatever was perceived to be the easiest chore? that, uh, Or was it first come, first serve for doing that stuff? It was first come, first serve. And usually I already planned out the week before the uh -huh. course I was going to do. Because um, I, I was the one that wanted to earn money and save money and everything. My brothers were taking their quarters and buying, you know, balsa with flyers. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, they had they had short-term financial goals they needed to meet and, and budgets and, you know. So I'm, I'm very curious, uh, what sort of financial values did you get out of that and and how does that compare to what your, what your brothers learned? Um, it, what it taught me as a child, and I'm talking about like grade school, was that there were rewards for effort. That was one thing. And that everything didn't come free. And so if it was something I really wanted, like I said, my brothers were buying balsa with flyers where I was mm -hmm. saving up money to buy clothes for my Barbie doll. 
Okay. So, um, yeah. Medium term goals, maybe. Okay. Right. And uh, <laughs> then I did learn to save. Uh, it took me a few years to, to do that, to actually put money aside, you know. But um, then, like I said, what really taught me, my father was very good about talking to us for lifelong goals and, like, explaining why I couldn't keep my tip. Mm-hmm. You know, um, he, he majored in economy in college, so, <laughs> uh, so he was passing on some of those tidbits to us. Mary, that's a great call. Thank you so much. And what uh, what a wonderful uh, service, really, that the parents did for the, for their kids to really, as we've talked about on the show a lot, the, you know, the earlier you can get your kids interested in money and, and how to save money and the value of money and, and that sort of thing, it really is going to be a lifelong gift. And, to and them. I really like that he really <laughs> in, impressed on a teenager at 15 that, um, you know, there are other people who are struggling and they're dependent on this. And it's not just about you and what your, you know, the short-term things you want right now. Um, and, and this comes up a lot. People like, you know, should you pay your child for mm-hmm. their chores? Should should they just do it because, you know, do you pay them an allowance because they contribute to the household or do you just pay them allowance for this, that, or the other? And, and there's, you know, a lot of arguments on both sides. But one thing I really love about this is the absolute transparency of how much you're getting paid. You know, I, this was this was an equal pay, equal opportunity household. <laughs> You know, if you if you wanted to take this job, then then that is what you got paid. At, you know, so I really admire that, and I think I think if you are gonna you know pay for household chores, I think being very clear about it and being very fair about it is is an important important part. And all of this, you really do need to teach your children about money because this is a lifelong skill they'll need. All right, I uh, got about thirty seconds left. One other tip that uh, we have uh, is that you might could considering automating your savings as much as possible so the money you've allocated for a specific purpose gets there with minimal effort on your part. Uh, And the other thing is what uh, Ryder talked about at the very front, a budget, as many things are with personal finance, is not set in stone. It's something that maybe needs to be revisited and revised uh, as your financial situation changes throughout your life. Absolutely. All righty. That is going to wrap us up for today. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from you, our listeners. To hear today, show or previous show, you can go to mpbonline.org slash money talks or listen to the podcast. Just search for money talks on your favorite podcasting app. Our show is produced by Liz Gill and Java Chapman was our call screener for today. So for Dr. Nancy Lotcher Janderson and Ryder Taff, I'm Kevin Farrell. Stay tuned up next at 10. It's in legal terms and we'll be back next Tuesday at nine for another money talks heard only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from Trustmark, offering a range of mortgage, affordable housing, refinancing, and construction financing options designed to serve the needs of its customers. More info at Trustmark.com slash mortgage. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.